All right, grab your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Luke chapter 20. And we're going to finish this chapter and start a new one. So, woohoo! We're making it. So we have planned right now, so on my, on my schedule, we're hopefully going to be ending, or we're going to be wrapping up our Luke series at the, the very last Sunday of September. So, we're going to spend... <laughs> So we're going to be spending the summer in the gospel, in the actual, in the passion account of Jesus Christ, all the way from the, from the time of the trials through the crucifixion. And we're really, really going to break it down. So we're going to really break it down into smaller sections and, and more digestible chunks to take a look at it. Um, so uh, you want to be here for this summer. It's going to be a great series, uh, kind of a mini series within the bigger series. So um, Luke chapter 20, we're going to be in Luke chapter 20, verse 20 through 21 through verse 4. Here we go. <clears throat> they watched closely and sent spies who pretended to be righteous so that they could catch him in what he said to hand him over to the governor's rule and authority. They questioned him. Ah, teacher, we know you speak the, and teach correctly and you don't show partiality, but teach truthfully the way of God. Hmm, is it lawful for us to Pay taxes to Caesar or not? But detecting their craftiness, he said to them, Show me a denarius. Okay. Whose image and inscription does it have? What do you, what do you see? Caesar's, they said. Well then, he told them, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. They were not able to catch him in what he said in public. And being amazed at his answer, they became silent. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came up and questioned him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother has a wife and he dies childless, his brother should take his wife and produce offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The the first took a wife and, and died without children. Also the second and the third took her in the same way. All seven died and left no children. Finally, the woman died too. (laughs) In the resurrection. (laughs) Therefore, whose wife will that woman be? For all seven had married her. Then Jesus told them, The children of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they can no longer die, because they are like angels and are children of God, since they are children of the resurrection. Jesus, I'm mean, sorry, Moses even indicated in the pa- in the passage about the burning bush that the dead are raised, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, then the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Therefore, I mean, because all are living to him. Some of the scribes answered, Oh, teacher, you have spoken well. And they no longer dared to ask him anything. Then he said to them, How can they say that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself is the, in the book of Psalms says, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David calls him Lord. How then can the Messiah be his son? While all the people were listening, he said to his disciples, Beware, 
of the scribes, who want to go around in long robes and who love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These will receive harsher judgment. Just then he looked up and saw the rich dropping all their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people put in their gifts out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open up your word to us today. Like, Lord, just show us where the thread is, is putting all these things together for us. How, what is, the, what is the, the thing that you desire for us to, to get out of this scripture here this morning? And Lord, to pour out your spirit, to engage with us, to invite us in to that relationship with you, Lord. To invite you into, this, into every area of our lives so that we tr- trust everything that you say and everything that you are doing. Lead us this morning, God. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. That was a lot. <laughs> a lot of scripture. Awesome. So this week I had a conversation with Jackson in the car. We were driving to school. And uh, he, he said he said, uh, um, he said something about uh, he was going to create this force field. He's always creating different things, which is kind of cool. He's going to create this. He's going to invent that. Every time we eat something and he puts these weird sauces to, you know, together. And, you know, I remember like the suicides we used to do as kids, like with all the sodas. Now I'm like, oh, my gosh, what was I thinking? <laughs> Disgusting. Yeah. But now, you know, Jackson's like, you know, taking all these different sauces and making all these concoctions. He's like, in my restaurant one day, I will make this. He's like, one day I will invent this. And he's like, Daddy, one day I'm going to invent a force field so that people don't get sick, so that people don't get hurt. I'm like, huh. So I just kept listening, kept listening. And I was like, what is, what is he building up to here? Where is he going with this? And the more that I listened, I heard him saying and expressing his desire to feel safe, to feel protected. Right. With all the talk, I mean, his prayers, we, we pray every, every morning. The mailings inspired us. Uh, every time we turn on to Love Lane, well, one of us prays in, in the car. Like, all right, whose turn is it to pray? And his prayers are constantly, Lord, protect us from getting sick and, and help other people get, you know, get better. Protect this and protect that. It's like it, it, this feeling of protection, this feeling of safety. And so it's interesting. Just so I got to answer him this, this, you know, today I was like, uh, I asked him, I was like, do you, do you, are you, sim- you feeling that you want to feel safe and, and feel secure, feel protected? He said, yeah. I said, did you know that, that the, that the word that the Bible tells us, scripture tells us that the Lord is our fortress, that the Lord is our stronghold and our shelter that we can run to, that he is the one that protects us, that he is the one that we run to in times of trouble or in times of need. He's like, oh, cool. So it's just a neat conversation I was able to have with Jackson on the way to, on the way to, to school. And so that's where I, I, the, the Lord is leading me. Like, that's what I'm saying. This is what I'm, I've been saying in this scripture passage. That's why we read so much of it. There's a common thread all through these things. Is this concept that Jesus is trying to lead them to this area of trusting Jesus, trusting God. Trust God and find joy. Trust God and find joy. I almost use the word flourishing. Maybe I should have added that. Find flourishing, or the, as the Bible calls it, this word shalom. 
It's not just this peace as in like lack of conflict, but shalom is flourishing. Life as God created it to be. God's intention for all things. Find flourishing. These two challenges to Jesus' authority and, and you know, these two challenges of Jesus in return and the imagery of the widow are all in the same setting, are all together, are all connected together into one narrative that speaks this message, trust God and find joy and attack God and find destruction. So let's look at the, the scripture passages here. So I, I like to call these guys the pretentious priests. The pretentious priests. Um, they are pretending to be righteous, as it says here in, in, the, in the first part of our passage here. They were pretending to be righteous. They were sent spies to spy on Jesus to try to trap him. Well, why? What was the whole purpose of them trying to trap Jesus? To eliminate his presence. They wanted to get rid of him. Right? They wanted to, they, right there, even their, the, what they would later on accomplish in the cross right, is right there. To what? Hand him over to the governor's rule and authority. Not to try him in the Jewish courts and to stone him for being a heretic. They wanted to crucify him. They wanted to make an, a, an example out of him. They wanted to, because they knew if, they, if the governor took a hold of him and crucified him, it would almost like be like knocking out everything that, that Jesus had done and everything that Jesus had said. Right. Erasing Jesus from the pages of history. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> right? And also to secure their power and influence over the people. Because if Jesus is out of the picture, who are they going to look to? Jesus. Them, the Jewish rulers, the chief priests and the scribes. The people with the degrees. They wanted to influence over the people who, like we talked about two weeks ago, were captivated by what they heard Jesus teaching. They were captivated. The people that were listening to Jesus, they wanted to stop them from listening to Jesus. So let's look at this. Like the first, the first, uh, the first test here. What, what did they bring up? Money. And how did they try to slip them up? Taxes. Taxes suck. <laughs> Taxes are terrible. And they used them. They understood that they were, they were suffering under them. They were suffering under worse than we are. You know, they were being taxed to death. Right? Some of us might be feeling the same way. You know, but, but it's interesting. They, they taxed, I'm sorry, they tested, they questioned, they challenged Jesus' patriotism and faithfulness to Israel. In the, in the sense of taxes. Because taxes for them were a symptom of the overrule of Rome. And so they were like, are you really faithful to us? Or are you faithful to Rome? Right. Who, where are your loyalties? Right? Where do your loyalties lie? Jesus loved his nation. We just talked about that two weeks ago. Jesus loves, he weeps over his nation. He rages for his nation, for his people. This invitation was always there. Jesus' invitation was always there to love and serve the nation of Israel while also correcting their sin and inviting them into an even greater nation, even into an even greater kingdom. The, Jesus wasn't against the ungodly, worldly government. Jesus is not, God, God is not against ungodly, worldly governments. Because what are governments made of? People. 
Because Jesus and you know, God is so pro-people. He's not against people. Jesus was saying that he wasn't against these things. He wasn't against the Romans. His invitation was, was that for them too, for the Romans. His invitation, his gospel, his, his blood shed on the cross and his, you know, by the Romans and his resurrection from the dead were for the Romans, were for the Gentiles as much as they were for Israel and the Jews. So the question here today for us, is God anti-Russian, anti-Russia, anti-China, anti-Iran, anti-Iraq? No. Is God anti-America? Is God anti-Republican or anti-Democrat? No. <laughs> in, the, in the same way, he was not anti-Roman. In, in that same way that, that God was not anti-Roman, even when, the, when they were led by evil and wicked rulers, get this, even when they were being ruled by tyrants, murderers, who even elevated themselves to being a god themselves, challenging God's deity and divinity. Guys like Nero, who would literally you know, thrust a, a spike up Christians you know, through them and light them on fire to light his dinner parties. He would, he, uh, and, and then you've got Domitian. And then you have Vespasian, who completed the... the I'm sorry, uh, then you have Titus, who completed the Colosseum in order to kill Christians and Jews and criminals. And then you get guys like Marcus Aurelius. Now, you know, in Gladiator, he's like put up as the, as the good guy, right? Marcus Aurelius was one of the worst Caesars of all time against the church. Do you know that? Nero actually went out of his way to attack them, but Marcus Aurelius, all he did was he withheld their citizenship. If you're a Christian, you are no longer under the protections of the empire. It's basically like for us in America, overnight, all Christians are now considered outlaws. Now, I don't even know, no, I didn't realize this. The, the, the reason why they're called outlaws is because none of the protections of the American government and the laws protected outlaws. Anyone who found them could do whatever they wanted with them. They could kill them, murder them, torture them, do whatever they wanted to them, and America did nothing. The laws no longer protected them. That's exactly what, what Marcus Aurelius did to all Christians overnight. And it was the greatest persecution the church had ever seen. Did God Was God against Rome and Romans when he was doing that? No. He was dramatically for them. He came to, to love, serve, die, and rise for all of them because he loves them. Second, what do they what do they attack? His lineage, right? Let's look at the lineage. The Sadducees, uh, not Jesus specifically, but lineage overall, <laughs> and the concept of re- of resurrection. You know, Jesus points out that even Moses believed in the resurrection. So Jesus, you know, they're having this question about you know resurrection because the Sadducees, a little little history lesson. The Sadducees only follow and believe in the the first five books of the Bible, which are these these little guys. The Torah. That's it. They didn't hold to any of these, which is the law and prophets. They believed that only these were trustworthy. 
And so they only followed those. So they, they were kind of the, 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 the fundamentalist conservatives that didn't believe in Holy Spirit or, or the miraculous anymore. They believed only in, only in the temple sacrifice and, and worship in the temple. But there were also the ones that were very politically aligned with the Romans. There were the wealthy and the rich, right? There were the greedy, uh, the ones in true power. So the chief priests and the scribes were mostly Sadducees. Um, and so we have this, this, this resurrection debate because the resurrection theology comes from the law and the prophets, from David, from the Psalms, from the prophets saying, this is the day of the great day of the Lord, like Daniel, right? And so he, Jesus was pointing back to even their scriptures and saying, G, you know, that, that Moses from your books, from Moses, he believed in the resurrection. So really, the resurrection is in the Torah, in the Pentateuch, right? God is the God of the living, not the dead, a.k.a. the resurrection. Like angels. Let's look at that. So I want to just take a, take a little side note here to correct a little bit about theology while we're not at a funeral. Because <clears throat> you don't never want to correct someone's theology at a funeral. I learned that quite, you know, way too many times. I'm just kidding. I don't do that. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> People don't become angels when they die. Right, people don't die, and all of a sudden they've got a harp and a in a, a cloud that they're sitting on with their with their wings. We don't get wings. Angels don't have wings. That's another conversation for another day. Angels don't have wings. <laughs> um, but so people do not you know die and become angels. So God didn't get another angel when someone died, right? Okay, on the same page. Right. And so what does he talk about here when they become like angels? He's talking about, you know, we become, you know, we don't become angels when we die. Um, but we, in areas we do, we are like angels in that we get eternal life. And how we become like sexually and marriage wise with, you know, um, we become like the angels. Like they don't, are not given in, and taken in marriage or marry people. Um, simply like we're going to be like that. So it's not that we become angels, it's like that we enter into the eternal state of an angel and in the sense of marriage, that we don't marry people in, marriage, in, in heaven. No. The question is, like, will we, still, will, will we still be married to our spouses in heaven? I don't know. It doesn't say. You know, I think we'll be just so enamored with Jesus, we won't care. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? You're like, I love you? Well, I love him more. Exactly. But, so I love you still, but I love him more. <laughs> um, which is providential that we put that into our vows, you know. <laughs> but Jesus is making a point of proof and taking away the fear and contra- uh, fear of contradiction about the reality of the resurrection. You know, these guys are saying, "Oh, this this is contradictory to theology." No, he's like, "No, no, no, no. This is not contradictory to to sound theology. This is actually right in step with it, guys." And and, it, and what happened? Jesus won some, at least, of them over. Right, so at the end, you know, some of the scribes answered, "Teacher, you have spoken well." They were convinced. They're like, "Oh, yeah, I, I see that. Okay, I'm cool with that." You know, um, and so why is there not a thing here? Oh, it is there. Okay, I just, it's not showing up here. So let's talk about metanoia. He, Jesus is calling them to metanoia. Do you remember what metanoia means? Change your mind. So right, meta meaning chain to be changed afterwards, and noyeo meaning mind or thinking or logic. So change your mind, shift your thinking. That's what metanoia means. Oftentimes translated as repent, uh, but it's gone through the 
the ringer of, of bad interpretation and, and oh, well, that's another conversation. But changing your mind. So changing your mind, you know, turn around. Um, so here the reality is, this is Jesus' uh, plea to them. He's like, here, please listen, guys, listen up. You know, focus fox. You know, like to a toddler, he's like, all right, guys, listen. You, do I got your ear? Yeah. Focus fox. Hear the reality of what God meant. Hear the Father's heart for you. Hear God's heart with the Word. It's so good. It's so much better than you've been thinking about it. Stop fighting and embrace me. Stop wrestling with me and welcome me. Believe in me. Repent, right? Metanoia and belief was Jesus' whole invitation. Metanoia, repent and believe the gospel. Believe in the kingdom of God. We need to have, a lot of times, you know, I think we, we oftentimes just kind of automatically put ourselves into the position of the disciples. But even they were wrestling in a lot of these ways. I mean, Peter was constantly wrestling with his faith. Wrestling, oh, so uh, who, who sinned Jesus? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And she was like, no, 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 no. Let's talk about that. <laughs> not what you're thinking. You keep using this word. It does not mean what you think it means. You know, is that Jesus was constantly shifting and morphing and changing the theology of his disciples all the time. The same with the Sadducees, these religious rulers and scribes, the nerds. These are the Bible nerds. And Jesus is saying, y'all got that all wrong. <laughs> I know your, your pappy taught you about it and your, your pappy's pappy and your pappy's 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 pappy. You know, I know generations have been teaching this, but it's garbage. It's not the Father's heart. It's not the gospel. It's not, you know, true and sound theology. So hear me in this, because this is kind of a a complicated thing to talk about. We need to have a flexible theology. We need to have a flexible theology. We need to have sound doctrine, sound theology. But if we're rigid... It'll break. So if we are, if we are un, we are often unwilling to change our minds, um, to have sound theology, and to let go of unsound or incorrect or bad theology. If we're rigid in our theology, our theology will break. We will break. But if we're flexible, if we, and here's here's what I mean by that, we're not being flexible to allow the ways of men to change our theology. The traditions of man, right? Our way of being flexible, and what I'm talking about, is to let the ways of God change our theology. To let this change our theology. For the Holy Spirit to change our theology. And theology is, just simply means theo, meaning God, theos, and ology, which means the study of, the understanding of. So theology is basically just our understanding of God. So our understanding of God has to shift and it has to change. It will. So that when God tells us something or reveals something to us, we let go of our old ways and embrace His way. We have to embrace what God thinks about this life. Not some new, fancy, flashy teaching of the world or people simply trying to be different or cool or new, right? 
Because that's oftentimes just the teaching of men in a new package. We desire to be old, like here at Shift Church, truly old, <laughs> like 2,000 years old, ancient. Now, what do I mean, what do I mean by that? We, I want to properly understand their culture that this was written in, right? So that we can understand how to live the way, truth, and the life into our culture today. Not so we can just try, try to be all like the early church, in the earliest form, right? That's awesome. I love their culture. It was great. And we actually are probably returning more to a culture that they were in, right? But it's so that we can understand how to live the gospel into our culture, not from our culture, right? That's what I mean. Our understanding of the scripture and our faith does and should change as we grow and mature. We understand, th- we under- we can understand things that were taught to us that were simply the ways of men, the traditions of men, the traditions of the church that aren't biblical. And so we're like, oh, here you go, Jesus. Not, and not feeling the shame of, of having believed them, but just simply putting them away. We put them away. Often, you know, many of us might have been raised in a very legalistic church experience, right? And that's garbage theology. <laughs> like, act right or God doesn't love you? <laughs> That's legalism. That's garbage. That's traditions of men that have been passed down that I've read in scholars from like the 18th century, the 17th century. And it's garbage because that's not what the early church preached. That's not the gospel that Paul preached. That's not. And remember that Paul, Paul talked about in Galatians 1. If anyone preaches to you a gospel, legalism, he was talking about, that I have not preached to you, let him be eternally accursed. Accursed. Angels, even if an angel preaches legalism to you, rebuke that sucker in the name of Jesus. Rebuke legalism in all of its forms. But also rebuke licentiousness in all its forms. They can be just like the world and live just like the world and be do, do whatever you want. God doesn't care. That's also garbage theology too that a lot of progressive churches are teaching these days. We have to walk the knife's edge between legalism and licentiousness and because this is where the gospel is, the third way living. Third way living is the way of grace, the way of love, the way of, repent, of metanoia. Not in order to earn God's favor, but because we already have it. Because of Jesus. We ought to have humility to admit to being wrong and we need to be strong enough to shift our thinking, to change our minds. This is strength. But also, the strength to remain faithful, to know what hills to die on, to know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth dying for and standing on that hill, no matter what. Knowing what theology to... (laughs) That's bad theology and which one is firm. It is our firm foundation. needs to be held on to, grasped, stood firmly for. Because theology is so important, this is why we should put our theology and thought through the ringer and require greatly of it. Make our, make your theological beliefs prove themselves. Prove themselves trustworthy. Put it through the ringer. As, as Tom would say, you know, it's like a ship out there, throws, tor- throw, you know, launch torpedoes at it and see what sticks. If it's a good doctrine, it'll, it'll float. If it's strong, right? It will withstand the attacks. To prove itself. Some responded, like we said, some responded positively. They what? 
metanoiaed. They changed their mind. They shift their, shifted their thinking. <laughs> and then, my turn. Jesus' turn. Then he, then Jesus, it, it shifts. It changes the setting. So now Jesus, it becomes about Jesus asking them questions. Jesus takes this opportunity to correct them concerning the lineage and the money. Let's look at that. Let's look at that. So first, lineage. He's like asking the question, like, so David's son. Let's talk about this, guys. King. Right? The right to rule Israel. Hence, their assumptions of an earthly kingdom. Restoration. Right? Uh, Jesus shows that the one to come, himself, Jesus, would be greater than David. Which, if you know anything about the lineage of kings, oftentimes you see they're, they, they're not really necessarily willing to say that one king is greater than another. Even though, you know, Manasseh was terrible. And he was <laughs> the son of Josiah, um, or Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Uh, Hezekiah was much, a much better king. <laughs> but for them, it was this unwillingness. And so to say that the one that's greater than David will be his son was confusing to them. So Jesus is like, well, how can this be? How can the son of David be Lord of David? He wraps up this teaching uh, sorry, here goes. Um, David would bow down to and submit to and worship this even greater king with an even greater kingdom, and that is Jesus Christ. He wraps up this teaching, teaching time with two things, a warning and an observation. So let's look at the warning. So don't trust in the way, in the way of the scribes, yeah, the, the pros as they had it in their day, right? Um, the inflexible, the, the hard-hearted, the, the rigid theologically, <clears throat> against the widows. These, these people are against widows. Against the fatherless and against the, 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 the husbandless. They're against God's people. The ones who God's heart is for, the ones who claim to represent Him are against what God loves. So therefore, <clears throat> bad theology. That's bad theology. If, bad, if, if theology turns us into jerks, that's bad theology. If it turns us into people that are no, that are no different than the world, that's bad theology. If it turns us into hard-hearted, inflexible, ungracious, unmerciful meanie heads, for lack of a better term, that doesn't involve an expletive, <clears throat> then it's bad theology. It's not a faith worth having. And then Jesus is like, and speaking of widows, check it out. That's where we get the first part here. He said he looked up. So this is still in the same, in the same, the same narrative, this same timeline. The widow was a great, you know, another great answer to their question of money and taxes. Things tied to worry and anxiety of A, you know, having enough to live on because they were being taxed so heavily. And B, this whole concept with, with money of submitting and honoring those who they considered their enemy. And Jesus' words to them said, look, look up. I, I just looked up. Look up. You guys, look. Check it out. She gets it. There's the Father's heart put on display through that widow. There is God's love. There is God's adoration. There is God's mercy and grace. She's experienced it and she is lavishing that joy. She found joy 
Because she trusted God. She trusted God and she found joy. The chief priests and scribes were missing God Himself because most refused to see and change their minds about Jesus. They were hard-hearted and stubborn in their old ways that they were being, that they were taught by who they were taught by, who they were, they thought they were trustworthy people, but they were unwilling to trust Jesus. They were actually leading the people into faithlessness in their leadership. Unbelief to the true God. Away from God Himself. If they would have trusted Jesus, changed their minds, and believed the words and the works of, the, of Jesus, things they said they already believed would show them the Messiah. They already believed these things. They were, they were proclaiming these things. When the Messiah comes, we'll see this, we'll hear this. Jesus is like, I did this, I said this. No, 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 because this guy's going to have a flag and he's going to have a nation. He's going to make, you know, do this again. Going to make us a great nation. But they still refused to, to believe Jesus. If they, would have done, if they would have changed their mind, they would have experienced eternal life and the joy. They would have found joy. Mr. Joy himself was walking with them and experience this joy with God's people, God's true kingdom, the church. Oftentimes, the hardest thing for us to do is to pursue our own joy. As C.S. Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased, far too easily distracted. So our question is, are we trusting? Or are we attacking God? Are we welcoming in Jesus? Or are we questioning and doubting? We'll get to that in here in a second. One of my favorite things to do when I was a kid was wrestle with my dad. I remember this one time when I was in, I think I, I, think I was in college. <laughs> my dad and I were wrestling. I was finally able to, out, to outdo him, right? And one of my favorite things to do with Jackson is to wrestle with him. This, you know, just like wrestling with him and like pinning him down and like, and then like, oh, 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 no, oh, oh, yeah. Make him think that he's winning, but he's really not really that strong. Oh, sometimes that, that kid, that kid's legs are strong. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> when you think about this, like all the, the wrestling, think about wrestling areas and, you know, like MMA even, uh, these matches, these athletics and competition sports, they're, they're fun and they're challenging. Even though I don't like wrestling or MMA, I don't like MMA or boxing, but I know people who do, and I and I and I appreciate what what they appreciate about the sports. Is that this is fun and challenge, and when it's done right, there's not hatred and anger. It's more of a brotherhood, like amongst like these different athletics, athletic sports, including MMA. There's this. It's it's like a getting better. It's this challenging. It's this iron sharpening iron. You know, I defeat you, you defeat me, I make you better, you make me better, you know, as we fight <laughs> and punch each other's lights out, which is still confusing to me. But anyway, I digress. <clears throat> but, so there's this, this aspect of, of this wrestling and this engaging, so this is the kind of wrestling we're talking about. Like, wrestling and doubting and questioning God is awesome! Do it! Wrestle with God, question, ask God questions, Yo, God is not afraid of your doubts. You can't doubt God into not loving you. You can't question God into not loving you, into not being faithful to you. The things turn 
in some of these areas when someone gets feels slighted and so then they far, they start they, they start to attack because they're angry and they do want to lash out and steal kill and destroy their opponent and this is that turn that we're talking about in our faith as we're as we're navigating wrestling with God and and questioning God and and and, and wrestling with our doubts in our faith the church needs to be the place to do it right God welcomes these things but as soon as it turn, starts to turn to where I'm going to start questioning God's goodness, and if God is true and if God is loving, I'm going to start questioning the gospel in a way that's saying, I don't want it. Therefore, I'm going to question it. I'm going to doubt it in a way that's pushing it away or lashing out in anger against it. That's when we start to, as Paul would say, shipwreck our faith. And this is what's going on right now in our culture. You know, this whole, like, this whole movement of deconstruction. I've been talking about this for the last couple of months in my, in my leadership group, uh, our, our pastor's meeting. And it's all about, you know, this, the people start to question, and it's great, I love it, you know, question the faith, question your theology, question your, the doctrines that you were taught, question everything that I say, please don't just accept at face value what I say. Let's have conversations. Like, let's go out for coffee. Let's go out for, you know, what, you know, theological beverages, as Rob McCormick would say. AKA a beer. <clears throat> but let's, let's go out for a theological beverage. Let's sit down. Let's wrestle through these things. Let's open up the wa- I would love to just tick you off so much that you dare to open this thing up. <laughs> to learn for yourself. To open the word and to see and to question. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm omnipresent. I may be wrong. There's times when Amber Lynn's been like, ah, did you mean that? I was like, oh, no, I did not. You're right. I was wrong. Right. Like the, like the, like a few weeks ago when I said, you know, I was quoting all these different things about, I can't remember what it was. Um, but I was like, I just want to, you know, walk that back a little bit and say, and correct myself because that was wrong. I spoke, I spoke out of turn. I can't remember what it was, but I always want to be honoring to the word and to, and to Holy Spirit. So the difference there, there's a difference between these two, two types of things. Um, there's a question, you know, there's, there's a word that we kind of, especially when it comes to our, our kids and even with, with our relationship with God, um, that we should take out of our vocabulary, which I l- I've learned recently. The word is why. Why is a, is, a, is a word that they teach counselors not to use. A friend of mine, my, friend, my, my good friend Kim, is a, is a professional counselor and life coach and has her doctorate. You know, doctorate. Um, and, so, and she was like, this is one of the, the words that all counselors have started to take out of their vocabulary. Because in the word, why is accusatory. It's belittling. Accusatory. accusatory. It's, it's doubting them. It's, it assumes wrong. It doesn't actually invite explanation or articulation of, of the reason. So asking different questions. It's saying, why did you do that? Ask the question like, what, what was going into your thinking process when you were doing this? Or what were you thinking? Not like, what were you thinking? You know, we're like, we're like, you know, what, what were you thinking about? Like that led you to do this. Or how did you think that this would play out if you did this? Not, why did you do that? You know, I'm so guilty of doing that. Oh my gosh. And so, you know, it invites better questions, learning how to ask better questions, right? So how do we ask God better questions? Instead of asking, God, why did you let that happen? God, why? Say, God, what did you want to do? What what were you doing? How are you accomplishing what you desire to accomplish? Where are you going with this? Right? Like I asked Jackson, God, where are you going with this? 
Because God desires a heart directed to Him to ask questions and to doubt and invite Him into the process. Engage the process with God. This is the essence of faith. Like Peter. Jesus asked him, are you guys going to leave too? After he said some really hard words, eat me and drink my blood. He was like, are you guys going to leave too? He's like, no, you are the one that we are faithful to. You are the one who has the words for eternal life. Where else would we go? Faithfulness, devotion to the source of good, the source of power, the source of truth in all of creation. We all go through these, these faith reformations. We ought to. We need to. We need to wrestle with, with these things. These things are not simple. <laughs> it takes me 20 hours a week to put these things together. It's not simple. Right? Trust Him in the midst of the deconstruction so that He can be the architect of the reconstruction. Go through this reformation process. I like that word a lot better. This reformation of our faith. Constant reformation in Him. Trusting in Him. Trusting His way. Trusting that He is faithful. There's a whole proverb, Proverb 3. I'm going to read 1 through 12 here. and You'll see that verse struck out. But I wanted to put that up there so it'll stick in your mind. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will, be, will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and rescued me from all of my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him? You are his holy ones. Fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack anything of any good thing. Come, children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord, who is someone who desires life. Lo- who, who is someone who desires life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do that which is good. Seek peace and pursue it. Trust in the Lord. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where, where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I exalt you, my Lord, the, the King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The one who lives for, under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say concerning the Lord, who is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, he himself will rescue you from the bird trap. From the destructive plague, he will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that, sh- that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. <clears throat> for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Those are the scripture passages that I was telling Jackson about. They're all over. Scripture passages that we need to memorize and embed into our very mind and our heart, our soul, our body, our spirit. We embed these things into our lives so that when the trial comes up, when the pestilence comes, when the, the trial comes, when the temptation comes, when the disaster hits, when these things happen that make us want to ask the questions why, we will trust God and find joy. We will recall to our memory all of the things God has done, all of the things that God has led His people through over the years. And there have been terrible things, hard things, hard times. But God has been faithful through it all to those who trust in Him. They are the ones who find joy. Those are the ones who rejoice in the trials. Take joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that in the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. Trust God. Find joy. And find flourishing for your lives and for your families and for His church and for this city and for this world. Trust God. Trust God. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your your presence that we can trust You. You are the God above all the gods. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, You are the only God that has mercy and grace that came near. That instead of saying, sacrifice to Me, no matter how You're feeling, Lord, that You came near and You sacrificed Yourself for us in our need, in our desperation. You drew near. And You still draw near. You are the God of our comfort. You are the God who comforts us in our affliction. You are the God who comes near when we feel isolated and alone. You are the God who pours out Your Spirit upon us, Lord, to comfort our our every wrestling and, and anxiety. You are the God that connects us with Your body. You are the Lord Jesus that connects connects us with a family, the body of Christ, the church. So Lord, I pray Your flourishing over us. I pray Your peace and I pray Your presence in our lives. And that we would engage with You and engage with one another and engage with others in the world that need to encounter and need to experience Your presence and Your goodness. That they would also come to trust God, trust You, God, and to find joy to find help in time of need. Lord, we thank you for your presence. God, stir within us that joy as we trust you, Lord. Walk with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.